Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're going to love it. Hey, and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. Each week, we're here to discuss the biggest new shows on Binge, along with our dinner party recommendations. My name is John Bowen, here with Ali Herbert Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge. Ali, we're talking about two very exciting things this week. We are, John. We have a new Binge original, Colin from Accounts, which is a funny comedy that hits our screens on Thursday. December the 1st, and we also have uh, a really interesting documentary about Sir Richard Branson, the British on- entrepreneur and founder of the Virgin group of companies, including Virgin Airways and Virgin Records. It's almost like a, uh, a documentary autobiography of his very interesting life that also drops this week, and our dinner party recommendations, the kind of must-watch shows on binge that we tell our friends to watch that you might have missed in the carousels but um, are amongst our favourite things. Awesome. Well, before all that, shall we meet Colin from Accounts? Oh, my God. I hit a dog. Oh, my God. He's going to survive, though, right? He's been struck by a car. It's more of a nudge. You're looking at around $12,000. $12,000? It's a dog. That's a lot. You don't gotta keep no other man down. I can't take the dog. No. Yes. Is that a unicycle? Yeah. Yours? Yeah. How long have you been single? A while. Binge's first original comedy series, Colin from Accounts, created by and starring Harriet Dyer and Patrick Bramall, is about two complex, flawed, funny people brought together by a car accident and an injured dog. So, Ali, very excited. It's our first Binge original comedy series. Obviously, we've had a drama. Why did we make this show? Why should people watch it? Tell us all about Colin. I should start by saying there is nothing to do with accounting office politics, number crunching or calculators in this show. So, you know, you'll find out why in the first episode there's a real twist to, to the name that will make you go, aha. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this is an eight-part comedy series. Like you said, we've got all eight episodes dropping on binge at once for you to get stuck into. And we made it for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I think when this idea came across our desks and Patrick and Harriet were attached to, as you said, star in it, but also wrote and created this series, I'd worked with them before in previous roles and just big fans of them both. And their pitch was actually the first time I had a a proper Zoom pitch. It was in the first COVID lockdown stage and sometimes creators and creatives are based around the world. So there are some video conferences, but normally your initial pitch when someone brings you a show is in person. And we had this really funny pitch and they were just so funny and their chemistry and their story around this show was just so enthusiastic and it just came through on the video and myself and Brian Walsh we were just in in hysterics as we as we had the pitch so I think a lot of the ideas and the creatives involved in the story were a big reason why we just we could see the potential in in what they wanted to create but I said I think the second thing was I just felt everyone was in need of a really good new Aussie comedy and what we really wanted to try and do here is to create a rom-com comedy and I just don't think we'd had one for a while in Australia and we also felt that everyone was in need of a good laugh when we commissioned this, it was in 2020 and um, we were in the early days of COVID and we obviously then had to finish writing it and get it made. But I think even more than in 2020, we've had another kind of tough year this year, haven't we? The world's, you know, goes and yeah, we, we ebbs and flows. We need it more, more now than ever. <laughs> <laughs> Be nice to have a laugh is what we thought. So we thought a good old 
old-fashioned Aussie comedy done freshly might be just what uh, the doctor ordered come Christmas holidays. So without any spoilers and without giving away who Colin is, what's the setup? Well, uh, as you often see in these kind of comedies or rom-coms, there's two central characters, the character Ashley, played by Harriet Dyer, and Gordon, played by Patrick Brammel. They are kind of an unlikely couple in that they probably wouldn't have met in day-to-day circumstances. There's about a 12-year age gap difference between them. Gordon's in his 40s. Ashley's in her late 20s. She's studying medicine um, at uni in Sydney. He's running like a microbrewery in the inner west of Sydney. And an incident, like you said, a car accident kind of brings them together. So you've got this kind of like unlikely pairing um, mixed in with a little bit of age gap going on. <laughs> Some really funny gags and stuff where you just realise there's quite a lot of life and stories that have kind of happened in the decade between them, you know, just some of the little ways that they miss each other's humour or, or understand each other, which I think creates some really cool friction and, and comedy moments between them. Um, but it's a kind of clashing together. When you first meet someone and you start dating and you kind of merge your lives and you're like, oh, I like you, but do I like you enough? Is this fitting? You know, and, and then the balance And your mum's weird boyfriend and your going to weird boy- and yeah. meeting, meeting their, like, school friends at a birthday and, Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, you like someone, you think you like them enough, there's a natural enough or strong enough chemistry, hopefully, but then the reality of life kind of gets in the way. And for these guys, yeah, the dog is a real reason for them to continue to stay intricated, uh, almost long enough for them to let their guards down and realise how much they like each other So, and all the complications that ensue. But as you mentioned, really big ensemble cast in this. There's some really um, fabulous Australian comedians, some some new, some really familiar faces that also um, play roles. We've got Helen Thompson as Ashley's mum. She plays um, Ashley's mum. She'd actually just come off from filming Elvis when she came onto set to shoot Colin from Accounts and she played Elvis's mum, for those of you that have seen the Elvis film. And, and just a, an ensemble of, of characters that act as their friends, their colleagues and their family members. So that also kind of really punctuates the story as these two try and get out of the way themselves. Yeah, besides the central love relationship, the mother-daughter relationship, I also just think is so well done and so that it's funny and sad and there's like heart to it and you get a real insight into um the Ashley's character, but I think yeah, I just think it's it's so well done and you don't often see those like secondary characters come together so well in in other shows. So yeah, it's just absolutely a sitcom and like there are like very high laughs per minute, but I also like there's this heart obviously to the to the romantic relationship that that forms over the course of it, but also to their friends and their family, and it's so well done. Oh, that's good to hear, John. You like it. And for Harriet, she, you know, she this is the first thing she's written. She just moved to LA. Patrick was busy shooting something, and she kind of found herself in between projects herself, acting. Um, and she had an idea, and she kind of turned her mind. I think there was an Australians in film. Um, co-op or something in LA that was kind of supporting um, creative endeavours for Australians in in film and television. And, um, yeah, she kind of put her head down for a week and, and, and went in and kind of tried to get her idea down onto paper. And largely what we see is that idea and then her and Patrick kind of really developed it and worked it up together. But it's really interesting to see them do the writing and then obviously you know play the, the key roles as well. They acted as executive producers on the, on the project as well. So, was a real labour of love for them both. They, they kind of bit of the kangaroo roo crew that moved between LA and Sydney and bounced between countries based on their jobs. So um, they're both doing quite a bit of work in America as well, but they kind of came back and we really wanted to shoot this in Sydney because there's some really good Aussie banter and just a, an Australian lens and a sensibility to the humour that um, we, we wanted to make sure came came through. But 
thankfully this has also been sold in lots of countries around the world and yeah this binge original will be for those listeners that aren't in sydney or, or australia there'll be um yeah other ways that you can watch this soon in overseas well, yeah, I, w- I was going to ask. It's a little, it's a little inside baseball, but so is this whole podcast. But um, it, very excitedly, it kind of has been really well received around the world, and yeah, we'll be we'll be hitting screens in a, in a bunch of countries all over the place, won't it? It will, and I got sitting on a screening of it overseas in, um, at the TV markets, and it was a whole bunch of buyers from Eastern Europe, Northern Europe, lots of Scandinavian countries, and and you know, lots of languages other than English. And I thought, I wonder how this is going to translate obviously they're used to buying lots of english language programming but it was really heartening to see um yeah how the laughs really uh universal and um and really carried and for the same reason that we wanted to make a comedy that i was saying before i think that's probably how lots of broadcasters around the world feel because i think everyone's in the mood for a laugh we've seen comedy generally get more and more popular on binge haven't we over the years yeah. so kind of probably reflecting a bit of the state of the mind of people out there that are looking for a bit of light relief and that is certainly what colin from accounts is and it'll be fun to you know those that are based in sydney love me was obviously shot in melbourne but this one's filmed in sydney there'll be lots of um familiar sightings probably and a cool microbrewery that um yeah gordon's character runs so yeah have fun spotting the locations as well all across in the west we shot early this year some of my favorite TV shows of all time are these kind of romantic sitcoms, things like Catastrophe or Gavin and Stacey or You're the Worst. And just like watching the finished product of this, it just like it sits alongside them so well. It brings something new to, to the genre. But yeah, I think if those kind of shows, anything that's ever piqued your interest, Colin from Accounts is yeah up there with them. Let's let the rest of the world watch it before we say too much more about the show. But we're really excited to get out in the world. And I'm sure we might revisit this conversation once once the rest of Australia's had a chance to watch Colin from Accounts. Oh, that'd be great. All episodes of um, season one of Binge's first comedy series, Colin from Accounts, is streaming right now on Binge. So enjoy. It was your destiny to hit this dog. You would have done it with or without me. How could you bought the dog? Yeah. Have a name. <laughs> oh. I think you should marry her. Oh, she probably will say yes, mate. We've got this. We've got this. Well, we don't, but, you know, your optimism is adorable. Billionaire entrepreneur Richard Branson is the subject of the new four-part HBO documentary series, Branson, featuring unparalleled access to the man behind the Virgin group of companies. It's a story of relentless optimism and big risks. He's not a natural showman. He does get nervous. My mum tried to get us over our shyness to challenge ourselves. We allowed them to do a lot of the interesting things. That's led on to a few more daring things. He thrives on jeopardy. It's a continuation of his childhood. Having suffered from dyslexia, having left school at 15, I had a lot to prove. He is a bundle of contradictions. People were seduced into thinking that this was a bumbling good guy, when in fact Richard always had a very firm eye on the bottom line. Ali, this is... Not exactly what I thought it was going into it, but I found it fascinating. Do you want to kind of explain how the like the framing device almost of how this documentary has come to be? Because it's really interesting, I think, why the documentary is getting made almost. Yeah, it's almost an an autobiography on film, but it was also it starts the setup at the very beginning is a piece to camera with Richard Branson 
almost leaving a farewell message to his family and his loved ones, um, almost like a beyond the grave final thoughts like you might put in a letter because he's about to go into space. He's just found out that Virgin Galactica has been approved um, by the American aviation flight body to be able to go um, into space and he is almost like leaving his final thoughts on the record, isn't he, um, for his family to watch should anything go wrong. And he's completely confident and that it might not, but he's also, um, you know, he's literally shooting for the stars. So it starts with quite an emotional Richard Branson having this very private moment of kind of um, summarising, I suppose, why he's doing this and why he's always lived a life that he's, you know, pushed adventure and human accomplishment to the edge. And that's almost your way in. And then over the course of four really interesting and in-depth episodes, um, the documentarian takes us on an amazing look into his almost 70-year life and, you know, the beginnings of Virgin and what he did as a young man and how the business started and everything. Um, But you get great insight to his family. It's shot from his home on Necker Island, which is a private island that he owns in the British Virgin Islands in the Caribbean, I think. Um, And, yeah, you gosh, you come away from this understanding a lot more about a lot about Richard Branson. Yeah, it's really, it's like a, it's almost a beautiful, like, um, I hate the word, but juxtaposition with him on his like private billionaire's island. And then you're cutting back to him starting a student magazine or him like getting in trouble for not paying tax on the records he was selling in the seventies. And like kind of flashing between him wandering around his island, being very reminiscent and reflective of everything. And then seeing the like archive footage and the, and everything of how he got to be there. I just think, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's so well done. And just, just to speak to the filmmaker himself, the series is made by Chris Smith, who might not be a name people know by name, but he is the filmmaker behind uh, Hundred Foot Wave, which we have on Binge, but also two like really iconic sort of pop culture documentaries the last few years being Tiger King and the Fire Festival documentary. So mm-hmm. uh, a real, really acclaimed filmmaker, yeah, has turned turned his lens to, to Richard Branson. And yeah, it's fascinating. I don't know if it's a particularly Australian thing, but I feel like everyone really likes Richard Branson. Like he's <laughs> this sort of like he's this beloved character that feels like he's been in your life for so long. I found the documentary fascinating. Me too, John, because I think what was um, so clever and it was probably done on purpose by Chris, like you said, with his experience in, in in documentaries and filmmaking, but when you look at somebody who's been an entrepreneur and has pushed the boundaries um, their whole lives but then they're almost reflecting should they die or should something happen, that, that set up at the beginning so amazing as a, as a way then into his story because he says something at the beginning which really struck me, which is the kind of in his view, one of the main purposes in life is to learn um, and to have experiences. But the real purpose is to then share that experience and what you learn. And if you do that in a vacuum or you do it for either the enjoyment of only yourself or for the benefit of only of yourself, he feel like he feels like you've wasted your life and your potential. And so then when you understand that he's using that kind of philosophy and drive to, you know, run ideas into the corners and just, you know, to, to kind of find every opportunity that you could kind of do. It's a state of mind um, and a state of being rather than a state of business or, you know, it's a, it's a risk profile or an approach to, to life that causes him to be so adventurous and therefore so dangerous. And it was interesting. I read his book years ago when it came out. He did a, I think it was an autobiography, 
It might have been a biography. Um, I think it was called Losing My Virginity and it was a Yeah, it was in the 90s, I think. Yeah. He's, I was, he's, I was he's to... written a few books, but I think that was kind of his first autobiography. It was almost like coming up with ideas out of need. It was almost people could see something and go, well, I'll do it. You know, I'll create fast ferries. I'll fix the train system. And in doing so, whilst he was a well-educated man, although he left school with before finishing school, he had dyslexia. It was kind of like from a um, certainly a family that wasn't, you know, without too much need. But he... So he kind of speaks like he's a proper British and he would be establishment, but he's actually almost taken it on, hasn't it? And he's kind of pushed the establishment like he's pushed, you know, all ideas to, to, to kind of follow his dreams or to really try and see if there's a better way of doing things. So, And there's criticisms of him as well, like you're a billionaire, you're living on an island, how much tax are you paying, uh, yeah. why, why are you going up to the space, why don't you fix what's on the ground, you know, all that kind of thing. But I don't know what I felt from watching this was um, – what makes him tick is been consistent throughout his life. He's not um, doing things for reasons he doesn't believe in. What like drew me to Richard Branson when I first sort of heard about him was the idea that he was like always launching new companies. And I think it's still even unique to this point. Like to the, today, there there aren't a lot of companies like Virgin that are in so many different industries in so many different ways. And their whole sort of brand is like being the challenger, like trying something new. Like, you know, when Virgin Blue launched in Australia, it was back in the Qantas Ansett days. Um, when Virgin Atlantic launched, like you could only fly British Airways. Um, so yeah, it's like the companies are almost a personification of him and what he's trying to achieve in life. And his early days, which we see in this first episode, are about the student magazine and the record label and the record business. And they're all kind of relatively closely aligned. And the first episode ends with him as he does, taking this big risk of deciding to launch an airline. And an airline is not like a record label. Like an airline is not like a magazine. It's such a different thing. And you can see that the airline kind of kicks off this trajectory that, you know, now has him literally flying into space. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating. It's four-part documentary. I think we all think we probably know a bit about Richard Branson, but um, even in in the episodes that I've seen, you get such an, such an insight into this man and where he's come from and where he's going and he's thinking. And it's just, it's kind of an insight I've not seen before. And yeah, it's beautifully made. You get to see all over his um, his private island in the in the British Virgin Islands. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think people are going to really be drawn to this one because I think everyone's interested in Richard Branson. So Branson premieres Friday, December second on Binge, and new episodes uh, every week for four weeks. If you've learned the art of trying the impossible, you could turn that to trying to do the impossible with anything. That is a gift he has. There is a danger that by having that attitude, (laughs) that it could go horribly wrong. I just feel that you should throw yourself into life. Life is short anyway. And I think it should be lived to its full. John, we're at the part in the podcast where we recommend some of our favourite little gems um, and bigger gems that are on binge, the kind of things that we recommend when we catch up with friends and we all probably have the very familiar conversation of what are you watching, what's good, I need a new show. So what's your binge recommendation this week? 
Well, we did just talk about Richard Branson, who's, you know, definitely one of the less problematic billionaires in the world and sort of has an inspiring story and all that. But we love a corporate scandal. We love when powerful people do terrible things and get brought down. It's very timely because we're in the middle of the World Cup. And we have a great two-part documentary on Binge at the moment called The Men Who Sold the World Cup. Comes to us from Discovery. And it's kind of about the journalists and the investigations that went into sort of uncovering the scandal of how football's like world governing body decides to give hosting rights to the World Cup. Obviously, it's a huge honor and it's incredibly expensive, but it also brings a lot of attention to your country and your culture and all these things. And it seems like there has been sort of decades of shady behavior going into the men who end up voting on who gets this. Lots of money is passed in envelopes under tables and things. Um, and I just thought, yeah, it was, it was fascinating insight into this like enormous organization that sort of doesn't really report to anybody but controls this beloved thing that happens every four years. There are shady governments and companies that would love to have the World Cup in their country. And it seems like for the right price, maybe up until recently, you could have basically bought the World Cup. Great journalism went into sort of uncovering all this. You speak to the journalists who did, who sort of broke the story. Even for someone who's not super into sports like myself, it's still, I just found a fascinating story of corruption and power and money. And yeah, so the men who sold the World Cup. Because everyone was like, why are we going to the desert to play, you know, soccer and football? And they had to do it at this time of the year because it's very unusual to have the World Cup in November. It's normally in the middle of the year in the summertime. It's like European summer. Yeah. Um, and is it is it because this is the coolest time of the year and <laughs> – in Qatar. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, but yeah, like, and it's also like it's just sort of geopolitically interesting. These like relatively young countries that now have all this money and they want to be seen to be on the world scene. So they, you know, build the world's tallest buildings and they get the World Cup. And yeah, it's just, yeah, it's sort of a fascinating look at how countries and business and sport all sort of intersect. So yes, and it's just a two-parter. So it's not a, not a huge commitment. But yeah, that is my dinner party record. Football is a global language. If you want to connect uh, people emotionally, then use that game. Clinsman with a chance, scores! Countries campaign very hard to host the World Cup because it is the biggest event in the world. This was corruption on an industrial scale. It was obvious that this was bribes. I don't know if they paid, but in football, to get the World Cup, everything is possible. My recommendation this week is Gossip Girl XOXO, which is back. The rebooted version that launched again last year for after many years is back for its second season. So if Gossip Girl's your thing, get into that. If you haven't seen the new version, it's a completely new group of people. It's set in modern day New York um, and Brooklyn. The blog is now like a social account and yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of been modernised, but we also have every episode ever of the original Gossip Girl as well. So if you're an OG um, with it as well, you can get jump in and, and watch the original Gossip Girl. So there's lots to keep you busy with there. We know when this Gossip Girl came out last year, it was super popular on Binge. So, yeah, we're sure there's lots of people looking Looking forward to its return. Welcome back, followers. This thing between us? Why should it be anyone else's business? We all need to get a little more used to living in the unknown. Same with things. This week on Skip Intro, we discussed Binge's first original comedy series, Colin from Accounts. Uh, all episodes streaming for you right now. We discussed the new HBO documentary series, Branson, all about Richard Branson. I suggested that you check out The Men Who Sold the World Cup. And Ali reminded us all that not only do we have every episode of the original Gossip Girl on Binge, season two of the reboot 
um, comes out for you today, depending when you're listening to the podcast. All of these are streaming for you right now on Binge, uh, which of course you can find on your favorite device. I'm John Boehm, joined every week by Ali Herbert Burns. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Chris Yates. And we'll be back next week with more Skip Intro.